Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is David Greenstein, and we are looking at page 38, Lamed Chet, in Tractate Beitza, Masechet Beitza. This page continues the discussion that was broached on the previous page concerning the topic of Breira. Yesh Breira or Ein Breira. Do we accept the principle of retroactive clarification of a situation, or do we not allow situations to be clarified retroactively, but only from the point at which something has absolutely finally been decided? This is a dispute that goes on in this uh, Talmudic tractate and in many other Talmudic tractates. In our page on Lamed Chet, we have a determination, Darash Marzutra, uh, Marzutra publicly declared halacha kerabe Yoshaya, that the halacha follows the position of Rabbi Yoshaya, which according to the way we finally understand it in this text, is that we do not accept the principle of Breira, Ein Breira, when it comes to matters uh, of Torah law, but we do accept when it comes to matters of rabbinic law. So we make a kind of compromise decision. One of the things that uh, we notice here or anywhere else is the absence of any argument about sources to justify one position or, not, or another. Nobody defends their position of either yesh breira or ein breira by resorting to a biblical verse or a story or some other kind of logical principle. It's taken kind of on its face. Either you accept it or you don't accept it. Why would one say, Yesh Breira? This sounds like a reflection of a deterministic approach to reality. It's something that we can find almost explicitly stated uh, very late. Nevertheless, I think it reflects thought uh, patterns that applied earlier. Now, Chatam Sofer, a leading rabbinic sage uh, at the beginning of the 19th century, a leading opponent of reformist uh, uh, movements at the time, explains that the concept of Breira is that Shahaya Galui Viadua Shechelek Zeme Olam Shelzehu, that it was revealed and known, Kame Shmaya, that this was known before heaven. In other words, this was declared or determined by fate or by heavenly fate, by God's uh, decision, that such is the way things should work out. A more popular way of saying this is Bashert. We know this Yiddish term uh, as referring to either someone who we found uh, as a partner in life, and we say, oh, it was always meant to be. So the concept of some predestination, predetermination of fate is deeply rooted 
in human psychology, and we see it reflected in this halachic uh, and meta-halachic concept. The rejection of Brera is to say, no, let's not talk about any kind of mystical or superstitious concept of predestination. We only can decide things based on what's happening right in front of us. If this theological or uh, uh, philosophical concept really does apply, then it's interesting that the Talmud says that with regard to Torah law, we all decide that ain breira, that whatever God's decisions about the future are, uh, are, they don't apply to uncertainties that we have with regard to Torah matters. However, when it comes to rabbinic law, then we say yesh breira, then we say that yes, we will accept the idea that retroactively things have been clarified, they were known all along to be this way. Perhaps we have a kind of a compensatory uh, philosophy. Since rabbinic law itself is more fluid, more uncertain, then we add certainty to it retroactively through the concept of yesh Brira. Or perhaps what we're saying is something theologically perhaps a little more interesting, and that is that with regard to what the Torah demands, that is something that God has given us to decide one way or the other, and whatever it is that's unclear, eventually it will clarify. But with regard to rabbinic in endeavors, with regard to human creativity in making new laws, new institutions of Torah, then God is rooting for us all along. And therefore, there's a kind of a previous, a prior interest that God is taking, and God is hoping for or looking toward a resolution of the uh, uncertainty that we may be in momentarily. When we finally resolve it, God, so, so to speak, says, I knew it all along. The Talmud continues at the bottom of 38, Lamed with a sugya, with, that talks about mixtures, a mixture of two ingredients. One ingredient belonged to one person and the other ingredient belonged to another person. And the first person has their parameters of activity defined for Yom Tov. And the second person has their separate parameters defined for Yom Tov. Now the combined object uh, is being pulled in two different directions. And what do we do about it? Here I just want to uh, uh, cite uh, one of the premier Talmudists of uh, our time, Rabbi David Weiss Halivni, who in his comments on this page says, Sugyazo hiachat min hakashot bioter bashas. This sugya is one of the most difficult sugyot, one of the most difficult Talmudic discussions in the entire Talmud. And then he says, Harishonim nil umi that the first authorities, the original authorities, the Rishonim, have tried without success to completely clarify it and explain it. And he says it remains ununderstood, both in terms of its textual elements and its conceptual elements. Uh, his discussion about this sugya is reflected as well in earlier authorities. Uh, Rishonim say that this is 
a very unclear uh, discussion, and the later commentators, such as the Pnei Yoshua, also say the same. So far be it from me to try to clarify it. But I do want to point out just one or two points. At the very end of Lamed Chetati, we have an important principle for us to remember. Isura batil, mamona lo batil. Mixed ingredients may result in one ingredient being canceled out by the overwhelming majority uh, of the uh, combination from another ingredient. This is, for instance, an important principle in kashrut. When something that is prohi prohibited may be mixed in with food that is permitted, then depending on what it is, and depending on whether the food is dry or wet and so on, it could be canceled out. The prohibition can be nullified by the rest of the food. The Talmud says that this applies to ritually prohibited ingredients, but it does not apply to issues of property. In other words, if I take a dollar from somebody else without their permission, I can't mix it in with $100 of my own and therefore say that dollar should be canceled out and nullified by the majority which belongs to me, therefore everything belongs to me. The minuscule percentage of property that does not belong to me is never canceled out by all of the rest of the property that is mine. Yisura batil, the Isur can be canceled out, but mamona, but somebody else's property, can never be canceled out. This is analogous to the concept that we are familiar with, hopefully, of the distinction on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day of atonement for transgressions between human beings and God. God can forgive us for things that we've done wrong. But we can't ask God to forgive us for things that we've done wrong to another human being. Similarly, when we take property from another human being, that can never be ritually canceled out through some kind of uh, ratio of, uh, of 51% or uh, 1 in 60, the kinds of ratios that apply to ritual uh, prohibitions. God is willing to let those things be nullified, but God is never willing to let the rights of another human being be nullified. The other story that uh, I want to point out is the story of Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba was coming from Babylonia to the land of Israel, and before he came, he prayed that when he got there, what he would say would be accepted favorably in the land of Israel. However, when he gets there, it turns out that he uh, says, tries to resolve a difficulty and he is left, literally, left out of the base Midrash. He is uh, humiliated, and uh, his words are not accepted. This story raises difficult questions about the ethics of discourse, raises difficult questions about the way that we treat each other. And the Talmud apparently presents the study hall as a very rough and tumble, a rough environment. It makes no bones about the fact that people's feelings could be hurt. I don't know whether that's something that uh, is acceptable to us in the same way 
as it was to them. Perhaps this sugya, in its incomprehensibility, in its uh, incoherence, is in some degree a result of the lack of uh, restraint and the failure in terms of the ethics of discourse that begins the story. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.